Welcome back to Terra Stories, News from the Field. In this series, we share the stories of wildlife rangers on the front lines of the fight against poaching, how technology is being used to support their efforts, and what life is like for those who are creating sustainable economies for the vulnerable and at-risk populations who are protecting Earth's most precious resources. I'm your host, Kim Langbecker. I want to welcome our guest, Mark McDonald. It's been a while since I've had the pleasure of talking with Mark. Um, Mark is the founder and CEO of ICOR. Uh, it's ICOR works in uh, in Southern Africa, in South Africa, and Mozambique. Mark got his start uh, in the South African National Park System in the early 90s. And when he worked with them, he was able to create a number of different projects um, around tourism and protecting wildlife. And many of those are still uh, in the works today. Um, he, compl- he did a number of, I think like 600 miles of wilderness trails in Kruger National Park. Um, and he became a park warden and then worked in other areas in the Lampopo Conservancy in Mozambique. Uh, Mark has always had a deep love of the wilderness and his commitment to protecting wildlife um, led him to develop a counterpoaching unit in Mozambique and the creation of ICOR. Um, Mark goes back and forth between Australia and Southern Africa. He has a young son and um, he has an amazing team of rangers that work with him uh, on a number of different initiatives. And I'm really excited to have Mark be with us today um, and talk about the International Coalition of Rhino uh, Poaching Initiative, which it's a bit of a misnomer because they work with um, all wildlife in Southern Africa. So he has a vast amount of experience and um, is really passionate about what he does. And um, we did have a little bit of technical difficulty because Mark is out in the bush doing what he does best, uh, which is protecting wildlife. Um, but so bear with us on that. And with that, I'd like to welcome Mark. Hi, Mark. So good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Mark McDonald, and I'm the founder of the International Coalition of Rhino Protection. Um, now, so how, how did this organization come about? So in early 2007 and eight, I was a game warden on a large piece of land in Mozambique, and I realized that something really needs to be done. It was just prior to the serious onslaught of rhino poaching in Mozambique. There was a few units or um, herds of rhino still left in Mozambique, and we were under severe threat. And I realized that the world needs to understand and know what is exactly going on with a large flagship species such as rhino and elephant as well. And I formed this organization um, in 2013 after uh, a lot of deliberation and um, you know making sure that that I had a platform. So so iBook was was basically formed and established on the back of of rhino poaching. And hence the name International Coalition of Rhino Protection. And we we were a small um, a small organization, and we were trying to um, get as many people on board as we could in terms of of partnerships and 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 support. Um, we were running a unit in Mozambique under severe 
in really high risk um, conditions in a, a place called Masajir, which was well known for extremely dangerous um, rhino kingpins that had support from Vietnam and China. So, so we evolved. We, we, we um, unfortunately, the areas that we were working on, we lost the rhino. We were up against armed, highly armed, highly dangerous, well-financed poaching gangs. And we lost our runner. Uh, and that, that must, uh, I must say that that caused a, a lot of deep um, sadness because we felt totally um, unable to assist these animals and it, it affected all of us severely. But we, and, we persevered. But Mark, I just, I'm curious. I want, uh, wanted to ask you, you said that these um these gangs these poachers were well funded and well organized where where are they getting where were they getting their funding and and who was backing them they they backed by they backed by um syndicates that live in vietnam and china uh which have the the dollar american dollar and this is funneled down to what we call the middleman, which is a is an agent, say in Maputo in Mozambique, and he funnels the money to different um, satellite. We call them kingpins, and they run um, they run teams of poachers into into reserves. And and you know if you if we arrested a poacher and opened his backpack, we would pull out a hundred thousand dollars in cash. So mm. one can imagine. The, the, the amount of money um, just on the ground. And that money was specifically to bribe any rangers that arrested them and that they were then set free. So, so that was the problem because no ranger in the parks uh, earned more than $1,000 a month. Nobody, nobody. So, so with that amount of money, you can imagine the, the terrible criminal activity that was going on and we then realized that we've had to create coalitions. We had to create partnerships with, with organizations worldwide to stem and stop the hemorrhaging that was going on on the ground. So, so I, uh, with my background in the military, I'm a veteran, and I, I quickly formed partnerships and um, associations with other veterans, and we, we built a solid structure of an operations unit that was able to defend these areas properly. So, so from 2013, we've emerged and we've grown and expanded uh, to our present situation where we own 37,000 acres in Mozambique on the, on the border of the Benin National Park. And we have a large conservancy that we're protecting in South Africa, close to the Botswana border. And this is growing um, every month as we, um, as we are successful with keeping animals alive and protected. Uh, many of the reserve owners are contacting us for our services. So we are, we're not, uh, so, so what's happened to, to ICORP, we've, we've evolved from being a single species protection organization to a multi-species protection organization although the name will remain the same, International Coalition of Rhino Protection, but we protect a whole array of species of animals. So 
Um, and when I talk about expansion, it's it's more ranges, more equipment, uh, and more and bigger areas to cover. So you know, um, it's it takes it takes a lot um, of planning, of of organizing, and creating partnerships. And that's really what it's about to be successful in providing protection to all flag species. And I'm talking about elephant, rhino, lion, leopard. And then all the antelope species, reptiles, including tortoises, and then, of course, the hardwoods. The hardwoods in southern Africa are being cut down with, with chainsaws and machines at a rate that would shock anyone that would be privy to it. Be beautiful, large, really beautiful hardwood forests are being chopped down. And that leads to habitat destruction of many, many, many bird species and primates. So, so, so it's, it's, it's just at the moment, we, we really have to step up to the plate. Um, I'm curious to, to learn, I mean, obviously you have a, um, a, a number of rangers that you work with, and, and I want to talk about those uh, folks in a little while, but um, you're, you have a pretty amazing team that you work really closely with, and you talked about your military background, and a lot of the folks that you work with that are part of your team um, also have a military background. Can you give us some some a little bit of you know information about who they are and what roles they play in the organization in ICORP? Uh, absolutely. So 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 first of all, I'd, I'd like to start off with the the structure of the organization. Now our CEO. Um, is a gentleman that, that's based on the ground in South Africa, and he uh, was very involved with uh, mechanized uh, uh, warfare, and um, he held the, the, the rank of, of, of this, uh, sergeant major. So he, he, we, we've got that man in place, and he runs, as an operations manager, he runs the operations downward. So in other words, so you have a unit commander, his name is... Um, and I've mentioned his name with absolute pride. His name is Rodriguez, and he is um, probably one of the finest men that, that we've had uh, on the ground. He's, he's from Southern Africa. He's a, he's a black gentleman, a man of color, and he, he, he has brought a lot of value to that, that team because of his absolute um, bush knowledge and tracking skills, and that is probably one of the most important aspects of being a ranger out there. So it's, it's amazing to note, just to note, that all of us talk about being game rangers. When, when, I, when we all started off in the field, irrespective of whether we're veterans or not, we all did it because of the conservation management um, of, of areas that, that, that was under our control. In other words, roads and fences and grass and, and biomass and fires and and animals and darting animals and capturing animals and, and all that. It's changed. That still stays in place. But the whole aspect of it has now become paramilitary. And I never thought in, in, in my life that I would have to pick up an automatic rifle to protect the very animals that we are, that we are looking after. But coming back to the team, that the, the, we've, got a, we've got several men, <clears throat> and we use a lot of volunteers, veterans from all over the world that come and spend between one and six months with our units. And they are, we've got a German at the moment, a German man, um, Julius, outstanding guy. 
Uh, we've got Massimo from Italy, outstanding, and they are they, they work so well with our permanent unit members. We've got um, we've got Matthew, uh, a young man that's got a, a serious amount of, of of excellent skills, but also not only on the conservation and counter poaching side, but also he's very involved with our community skills and development that we are that we. Uh, proudly mention in terms of a, of a full circle approach. So in other words, it's rangers, community and wildlife. And Matthew is very involved with very exciting community projects, which involves permaculture, um, aquaculture and beekeeping and so forth. So, so, and teaching people how to build environmentally um, friendly structures by using tons of waste that is easily accessible around these areas. The, that's the, the, yeah, sorry. No, I'm just, I'm just going to say that's really exciting because that is, you know, it, it helps to bring the community uh, together around a project and to be able to benefit from that kind of, I, I like to call it mad science, the, the permaculture and, and, you know, being able to use bio waste and all those kinds of things, which is it's fantastic. I had no idea that you were doing that. So congratulations. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what we've, we've always realized that, that without the community, you are able, not able to function properly because from the community, we get very important intelligence to, to, so that we are able to, um, plan our operations better. We create a sustainable economy for the community, so it's a win-win situation, and we build uh, close relations. Uh, especially our Mozambique project, we uh, have two large communities on the periphery of our reserve, and these people will benefit directly from employment. They will be taught and upskilled to maintain their water wells and pumps and so forth. Um, there will be schools that we will add classrooms onto schools that are actually dangerous right now as those children go to school. They could collapse at any moment. Um, so there's a whole lot of interaction and a win-win situation between iCorp and the communities that we are involved with. And we've just now um, starting to plan our training and research center and uh, this means that we will now be inviting undergraduates, graduates, uh, um, interns to our research uh, center um, so that they are able to do all sorts of ecological surveys, bird surveys, mammals, reptiles, and they will be coming from all over the world, but also we'll be inviting students from the Mozambique um, universities in Maputo. Our training center, um, is going to be uh, a, a center that's going to be able to house 12 cadet rangers. And these folks are going to be a mixed uh, bunch. So we, we are very, very um, focused on training female rangers uh, <clears throat> for, for, for the work in that area. Um, so, so that is one project that I'm personally going to be involved in, is creating an all-female ranger unit. Um, and the first batch of cadets will be coming in from those areas, um, and then eventually we'll, we will then invite people from other African states. 
But the most important aspect is that course is going to be internationally accredited, which um, gives it a lot of weight, and it's a certified course. So it's something that people can start a career on. That's very exciting, Mark. And, and I love the idea of uh, training female rangers. I know, I think it's in Botswana that there is an organization um, that is all female rangers and they actually have a vegan chef that, that cooks for them. And um, I, there's, I don't know, 20 or 25 different rangers. So I think that's, that's a great initiative. That's very exciting for me. And I'm, you know, what I think this is, it's really great is because, you know, our expeditions at Terra Conservation um, Initiative will be able to work with you and to bring you students and other people who are interested in being a part of learning this and being part of, you know, getting that accreditation. So that's fantastic. So I, I'm, I'm just curious um, when, you know, you, you have all of these programs that you're starting to develop, to develop and, you know, you're, you're really doing this at a time when there is a considerable amount, I would imagine, of pressure, uh, because of COVID-19, you're, you know, you're not seeing the kind of tourism dollars to come into these that would come into these communities potentially. Um, so there's that pressure, there's the economic pressure. So how, how are you navigating that piece of it where you're, you're, you've all, you're already in a situation where human an animal conflict is really difficult. Poaching is, is obviously still running rampant and you have a pandemic on top of it. So, so what we've had to do, you know, with the COVID-19, with a non-for-profit charity, it's been extremely tough and, and I can't, I can't um, uh, be more clear on the word tough. I think I can find another word, but I won't use it now. But it's been, it just means that we've had to become extremely proactive. We've had to, we've had to challenge ourselves and we've had to say, guys, are we going to close the door and walk away? Or are we going to maintain the status quo and actually step up to the plate? And let's see and fathom out how we're going to um, survive this COVID-19 pandemic because animals still need protection. Poachers are still going to poach. Um, the COVID-19 means nothing to them. So, so what we did was we've, we registered ourselves as an essential services organization in Southern Africa so that we could maintain um, um, making sure that we provide protection and safekeeping of, of fauna and flora. And, and that was very important. So keeping in mind, that means that our units have been working nonstop, no break, no holiday, um, just a bit of R&R &R for a couple of days on a rotation since February. So since February until yesterday, our units have been operating and they will continue to operate like this until the end of the year as an as, as essential services organization. So, so what we've had to do is a lot of our funding stopped. Um, we were able to maintain a small amount of funding and that, was, and that has allowed us to keep our ranges fed fuels for vehicles and oils, and to make sure that um, we have some type of equipment and so forth. So it's been, we've had to work it on a shoestring budget, and, 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 but, but we've surviving. Um, we, we, we've become excellent 
um, um, financial managers. <laughs> so, so we we understand that. So, and and so what we've done is just in the last couple of days we, we've released a link, a merchandise uh, a link where people can go onto a link uh, and order iCorp merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, caps, mugs, stickers, and 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 that in turn will generate a small amount of income coming back to the operations on the ground. One must keep in mind that only the rangers that are operational on the ground are getting paid a small salary. And if I can equate it to American dollar, they're getting probably about $300 a month, if that. So $300 a month, we provide some food for them and provide accommodation for them. And these men are absolutely dedicated and committed to the cause. So, so that's where we are. We've, 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 we've realized that we're able to adapt and change according to the, to the game plan. And we found that actually the, the poaching had increased because a lot of organizations uh, had, have removed themselves out of the field because of, of financial difficulty. So poaching has increased. I mean, just to take, for example, the Kruger National Park had lost no rhino for 100 days, and three weeks ago they lost eight rhino in 10 days. So, so, so the, the need is still there. They've just caught a whole lot of poachers at the International Airport in Johannesburg with millions of dollars worth of rhino. So, so, so it's a terrible thing happening. COVID-19 and poaching, and this is really alarming um but we but yeah we 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 try and working as hard as we possibly can and i just i, I want to give people a sense of what the, the the south african dollar which is called the rand um i ironically uh, am working with a bushman community in northwestern uh, South Africa, and um, we looked at what the exchange rate was, and uh, two days ago it was almost 17 rand to one dollar. So that just gives you an idea for anyone who doesn't understand what the uh, what the economic situation is in the whole of South Africa. Um, you know, comparatively, it's it's a really difficult situation. It's almost as bad as the peso to the American dollar. Um, I'm I'm really curious to hear uh, well, a couple things. I want to talk about some of the rangers that you work with and, you know, hear about who they are and, and, and why they came, um, the, the local rangers that you work with. I also am really excited about your canine training program. Um, I, I know you had a, a, a new uh, addition uh, not too long ago named Karma, and you had a little contest for people to, to name them, name her. And and then I, I really want to touch on the some of the the technological things you know drones and things like that. But let's let's talk a little bit about your your rangers who do who go out every day and risk their lives and as you said are are paid you know far less than what they're worth because you know it is such a challenge to to bring funding in. So can we? Can you share a little bit about um, about your rangers? Yeah, sure. Um, we've got we're very fortunate. You know, over the period of a couple of years, you prune and you bring people in, and you prune, and you eventually get to a recipe 
of people that are absolutely fantastic and they are committed. And the thing is, with these men, if they were after money, um, they, 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 we wouldn't have many of them around. These men are dedicated purely because they understand the value of what tourism brings through live wildlife. And unfortunately, the tourism market or the tourism industry has collapsed in South Africa, and yet we have these, you know, we have these men out there every single day. I mean, they're working seven days a week. They work eight-hour shifts, and or when it's full moon, they work 12-hour shifts on a rotation basis. And we have, uh, you know, these local guys um, uh, uh, are dedicated. Um, you know, I have, a lot, I have a lot to do with them. I talk to them on a, on a fortnightly basis and I catch up on them. And so does our CEO, the egos to the ground. And we, we, we vary into um, um, our ranger welfare. And it's, it's, it's amazing how these guys go out. You know, they, they sent me pictures of them all sitting around a little fire it gets minus whatever it is in the bush. And, you know, minus one for us in South Africa is extremely cold. It's like, you know, it's cold. So, so and it's not just cold. You know, they get bitten by scorpions. Um, they're under threat of very, very venomous snakes. You know, there's, there's the threat of cats, lion and leopard, a buffalo. You're walking around at night and you can walk into anything. It's, it's bumping into armed rangers. They're carrying machetes, spears. And they're armed with lethal weapons. And these men um, put their lives on the line every single day and night to make sure that animals are kept alive. And it's amazing that, you know, we have so many people out there that, you know, when, 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 when we do ask, and we do ask, look, guys, we need funding. And on the 31st of July, it's World Ranger Day. And the 31st of July for us is a time when we hope that globally um, people and organizations um, will come together and say, right, let's, let's do a, a, a fun drive. Because it's, it's great to be able to hand over to these men, um, you know, warm jackets, new boots, um, new socks, you know, little things that mean a lot to them may not mean a lot to anyone else in, in, in the Western world. Um, you know, even um, a watch, um, for, to use a compass, a GPS unit, um, night vision, uh, thermal imaging, those things is, is, is the difference between life and death. To be honest with you, um, an, an ill-equipped unit will fail and it places those men under enormous amount of danger and, and risk and threat. A well-equipped unit is, is, is functions well and they are safe and and. And we've seen that with our own unit. We've managed to make sure that our equipment, even if it's just a few pieces of equipment, it provides so much stability and security for our units. At dark nights, you're walking around, and if you've got a thermal imaging, you can see a lion, you can see an elephant, you can see a buffalo. So these are the things that keep these guys going. But I want to mention just, you know, um, the, the, the time that these men, we say, look, guys, you must take off. You must go and have an R&R. &R. They'll turn around and say, yes, but Mr. McDonald, um, we're busy with an investigation. And if we, we, we don't see it through now, we're going, to lose the, we're going to lose it. And that's the dedication that I'm talking about. Um, these guys, their wildlife comes first. Their, their, their large hardwoods come first and then themselves. 
And I must be honest, we have a great respect for our men. And we've given each of our men this year, we've given them a very special patch that was developed for 2020. And they can wear that with pride. Um, and we try and do as much acknowledgement as we possibly can to keep the morale high. And I'd like you to touch a little bit more on some of the technology that helps these rangers to be able to do their jobs um, that will, you know, keep them safe, let them, you know, detect where the poachers are and, and, and help them to find where the wildlife is at. Can, can you talk a little bit more about, about that and what they, what the, the actual things are that they need? You talked, you talked about a couple of the things, but I'd like to sort of dive into that a little bit more. To ensure that um, that these men are kept, you know, safe and they're able to work safe for us, occupational health and safety is extremely important. So there's a couple of things that are 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 important to have within a team. And the first thing is we we make sure that all of our men are at a high grade of first aid. It's military first aid for for being in isolated areas. Um, and out in the outback. So we make sure that all of our men are able to help themselves, help themselves and help others. And it's not just basic first aid. It's, it's very, um, very um, up, up market, up there type of um, first aid. So how to put a tonic on, how to put a drip in, and how to get a person out of an area working with GPS coordinates and so forth. The second most important, and that is a range of things, and that is being able to monitor and track your movements and have that information back on a laptop and you can actually run it out and put it on a map. So we have GPS coordinates that are sent through while on, on patrol to an to a operational base where this is tracked in on a, on a computer screen of exactly where the teams are. And that is, for one reason, is to get a, a, a helicopter in the, in the incident or in a situation where there's a confrontation and somebody has to get Matty uh, Kazavak out of the area. And, that, and that's one of those areas. Also for a quick reaction force to join the force that are already in, that's already in the field. So GPS coordinates, GPS units are very important. But we operate a lot at night. And, the, uh, uh, and that means that we need tools that we are able to um, see where we are at night and also observe. So we do observation posts and we use uh, what they call thermal binoculars. Um, and that is for distance to see and monitor um, any movement uh, from anything uh, within a couple of kilometers around um, a high point. And that person is in radio contact with the force um, in, in situ on the ground. So they'll be waiting to be led or directed to a specific point. The people that are on the ground, the patrol that's waiting to be uh, directed to a specific point, they have they have a night vision with them. Now, the night vision that we have, unfortunately, is dangerous because it shows off a red light. And there is on record ranges that have been shot by poachers um, by when they were using that specific those specific night vision because of the little red light that you can see very clearly when approaching from the front. So that is only used just to monitor for wild animals. We don't use that when we have a site of human activity, that, that unit gets put off and the 
the flow thermal unit gets put on because that shows and displays no light. The thermal um, flow uh, thermal unit is a lifesaver, and that um, is something I can't um, emphasize more. It, it gives us the range of how far those people are, uh, how many people are in the group, and we can also see whether they are carrying firearms and what they're actually carrying in the group. So, so the flow not the flow uh, thermal imaging unit is is a lifesaver. Apart from that, apart from that, um, you have in the day you have binoculars. You've got um, um, we've got camel packs that you carry on your back. And you've got webbing. In other words, you've got body armor that you're carrying with your magazines, your uh, cameras, a camera to take pictures. Um, you've got um, your GPS units. You've got all the bits and pieces on you. But the most important as well is water. We are in a, a very dry and arid area that we operate in. Um, the men take with them water in their camel packs. But, you know, if you're on an eight-hour patrol, and it's 43 degrees Celsius in the sun. You're going to need water out in the field. Now, there is water out in the field during that time of the year because it's summer and it rains. But unfortunately, the animals defecate in the water and they urinate in the water sources. Um, it's, not a very, um, it's not very good uh, for human consumption. And, and unfortunately, the men take water out of there, put it through their shirts and through their hats, and they boil it and whatever. What would be absolutely fantastic is to have some water purification, um, and which we do. We get tablets, and we and we try and pure. Um, but it would be great for the guys to be able to get a, 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 um, a piece of equipment that could you could put water in one side and and clean water comes through the other side. So, but so equipment is extremely important. I mean, we we, we work from a fixed base, but on occasions when we've got hot operations, that means that we've received intel. We know people are coming in at certain parts of the night or whatever. We set up a temporary base. Now, we're completely um, self-sufficient. Um, we've got tents. We've got pots, pans, um, and we use, we call it a dry, a dry camp. In other words, uh, there's no fires, um, and we are self-sufficient. We go out in the bush. We dig a little hole for the lavatory. We, we, we cover the place up with bush. We cut down um, some of the... Um, more common uh, acacias, and we, we provide a shelter, and we, we, that's how we operate. And we move that base. It's a temporary base. It's called a TB. We move that uh, from one place to the next um, every two or three days, and we stay out in the bush for 12 days um, during the, the length of the operation. And this is usually when we've had some very reliable intel come into our base. And... When we talked a little, we talked, we touched a little bit on um, your canine um, program that you uh, that you have that are that's part of this. How talk a little bit about how that interfaces with the rangers out in the field? How that program w was developed and how you how they work together with the rangers to protect the wildlife and to flush out um, poachers. Now, um, Karma, Karma is our canine um, melanoma. She was, she was kindly donated to ICORP through an organization in Johannesburg. Now, I, as a ranger, has never worked with, with any dogs in the field. Um, and I thought that, you know, with a, with a group of men on patrol in a staggered formation and all that, you know, you had your ears and your eyes and everything. But 
adding karma, adding this K9 to the unit is just mind blowing. She probably takes up, she probably is, uh, she takes up three ranges. Uh, I call it a three ranger dog. I mean, her smell, her hearing is acute. No human can match the hearing of a dog and, and the smell of a dog. And that just puts the unit, the human, the human aspect in such a good position because of the incredible um, skills and um, ability of a canine unit. I mean, we would be walking and she would stop. And she would, she, her ears and her whole focus would be on one place. And you can bet your bottom dollar that there are people either there or approaching. And in many occasions, she has actually saved or had the unit go into an um, ambush situation just because of her ability to hear and smell things. So, so Karma, Karma um, is a small female. She's not a big melano, but she is worth her weight in gold. We are so... Um, we're so we are so appreciative, but we 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 value her so much, and we've realised that we need to get another melano because she needs to rest. And you know, when you take her out of the field and she rests for a couple of days, you know that 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 extra um, vigilance is now out of the unit. And the men have all um, they don't. It's not like they rely on her heavily and they can't work without her, but. She's sort of their, their pillar. She's their, she's their light. When they're out in the bush with her, even at night, um, they feel um, that, that she's, she has made better abilities than they have. And therefore, um, you know, we, we value karma uh, very much. The other aspect of this is that uh, the, many of these work dogs get stabbed or shot while in the field. So we have made it. We, what we've done is we've created a system where the handler of the of of karma is is armed with a sidearm, and and there is a uh, a ranger in right there next to him when they're tracking a, a track, and she's got onto a hot track or hot spur. There's an armed ranger there, and not far behind them there's a backup of two rangers, and we never release karma, so she will track the poachers' tracks until we find the poachers. But then she is withdrawn. We don't release for a track and attack because that is the time when these dogs are get, get seriously injured. So we are very aware of that. We do not release karma. She will find the poachers, flush them out, and then she, they will withdraw. And the and the other unit, the other members of the unit, will then take over. So yes, um, karma gets maintained. So her tracking abilities are maintained in the field by her handler, who is highly qualified as not only as a handler but also as a canine trainer. And is there a, a part of your plan for growing and expanding? You, you mentioned that Carmen needs a, a, a partner, basically, another canine partner. Is that part of what you're looking at doing? And, and what does that look like when you're, you, you know, you said that Karma was donated to you by an organization um, but what does that mean from a cost perspective? How, you know, if, if 
there, if you're not able to have another canine donated, wh what does that mean as far as going out and having to get it on your own, train it, and all of those things? There, there has to be, you know, not an insignificant cost affiliated with that because these dogs are very specialized. Um, absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that point up. Um, we realized that Carmen needs to get a partner, and we started to shop around, and I made a couple of phone calls, to get a dog and have it trained, because the dog only starts getting trained after a couple of months. But to get a dog trained up to the level that we, that we would accept um, is $10,000. So for us to, to, to get a dog Trained and, and 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 the breed of dog is very important. It's a short-haired dog because of the of the climate, and um, we find that the Malinois is a is a, is a very uh, well adapted type of animal, and um, they are are quite um, you know with the ability to smell and hear and the stamina and so forth. So so it will cost ten thousand dollars to get that, um, and 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 that we just cannot afford. We we would rely heavily on somebody to to be to give us a, a, a donation in kind for us to be able to get a partner for karma and that's for karma that that ten thousand uh, to get her trained and all of those things or to get them trained i shouldn't say her um, but i'm also curious when you you talked about all of the equipment that the rangers needed um, from the first aid kit to, you know, their night vision goggles, to all of those things that, to be able to drink, you know, fresh water. Um, what, what, is the, what is the cost per ranger for this technology that keeps them safe and alive and um, able to do their job? Is there, I, I mean, I, I don't know that you, I'm, that there's a, you know, uh, just a sort of general overview would be would be great because I don't think people understand what it takes um, from a, from a, a cost perspective to protect um, these rangers, but to, so that they can do their job of protecting the animals, which of course then in turn, um, as you said, you know they understand the value of having uh, tourism come into these parks. So I'm just curious what that looks like. You know, to keep to keep these rangers in a position where they uh, a step uh, above the rest. In other words, you know, they've they've got updated, and I mean updated equipment. You you can't use, you know, old old Second World War stuff. So they need to have updated equipment. If you look at the cost of a drone, a proper drone, and we use a drone for forward patrols, um, and that has saved our units not once, many many times. A drone costs thirty thousand. Dollars, thirty thousand dollars, or th uh, yes, it's it's a lot of money. A, a, a floor night vision costs uh, five thousand or six thousand dollars. You've got you've got binoculars. You can't just wear the eight by forty binocs. You need to get something you can use at, at in the day, and you have to use get something to use at night with a distance uh, a, a finder, and that is that is six thousand dollars. When you start making the sums up, you're looking at um, a huge amounts of money, $100,000 to equip a, 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 um, a unit for a year. And, and that's, not, that's just the basics that we need. I mean, that includes lethal weapons, non-lethal weapons. So we're also in a situation 
that we're using non-lethals. And these are gas-propelled um, 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 units, handheld units, looks like a handgun, and replicas of AR-15s. And many people laugh and joke about the fact that I-Corp uses um, gas and pepper-balled guns. Yes, we do that for very specific reasons. When you are in a situation and the person is not armed, and, but yet still poses a threat, in other words, coming towards you, or in an ambush and they're not armed, you're able to get them on the ground with a pepper ball um, and, and so forth. So, so, and there's ammunition to buy. There's, there's a whole lot of things. Handcuffs, handcuffs, pepper spray, batons. Um, if you lay it out and you make a calculation, it's easily $100,000 for the year. And that, that, is, that is what, to, to, to equip out a unit of eight people, that is what it's going to cost. And you mentioned something about, um, you actually beat me to the punch. I was going to bring up uh, that July 31st is World Ranger Day. And um, has there been any talk with your fellow organizations that are working in other parts of Africa about coming together and, and really, you know, creating some uh, awareness around um, World Ranger Day? If I may say, for, for many years, for the last at least three or four years, I have been asking for a closer uh, association with, with organizations that are in the field and doing similar activities that we are doing, you know, to become partners, to let's join ranks, let's join resources, let's do this, let's work closer together. Unfortunately, some of these organizations want to be on their own and they want to sit on their own throne. Um, the 31st of July should be a time where all of these people come together and create awareness worldwide, collectively, and collectively join in and share resources. I mean, some of the organizations, and, and, and I, I have no bad word to say about them, but yes, they were created with a spoon in their mouth, and they were able to generate hundreds of thousands of US dollars and whatever the case may be. Um, and we are, uh, we are, there's many of us that are small organizations that feel that you, it will be great just to share, let's just share some resources. Let's, let's try and see how we can, because by doing that, we all become stronger. Uh, and I always use, like to use the word collectively in a, in a unit together, but no, um, I think the 31st of July, um, we would probably have to go out and, and knock on, on the partners, partners, uh, our partners' doors um, for, for assistance. Um, I know we have just a little bit of time left, and I want to get in a couple different things before you, you have to um, set off on your day. Um, I, I'm really excited about the opportunity for um, Terra Conservation Initiative to potentially work with you with our expeditions and bringing students and, and also to be able to incorporate some of the technology that we have, um, you know, the container farms, which can help feed your, not only the, the rangers, but also the communities and, and bringing, you know, the so solar and air to water generation, um, you know, obviously it depends on the area and, and how much moisture is in it but but i think that those are some exciting things where you know working with 
Terrace Conservation Initiative and Giver and you, we can start to create some of the funding that you need to be able to support the people. But one of the things I think is really that's uh, maybe it may not be unique about your organization. There may be others that do this, but you have had a volunteer program um, that has been a part of your organization that really it's for veterans, but it combines them actually coming out and doing the work and being part of the conservation that you're doing and working with the community, but also to bring them some potential healing for what they've gone through in serving their countries, whether it's the U.S. or or South Africa or, you know, Europe. So uh, talk a little bit about that volunteer program. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off by talking about, um, there's actually three volunteer programs. Um, the third one is in the process of being compiled, and that is going to be for the community skills development. So you, we want to invite folks that want to work with communities, work with the school children, work with the gardens, work with net houses, um, you know, getting solar up, helping them build, helping them plant orchards, and all of that stuff. So that is one volunteer program for skills development for communities. Then we have a second volunteer program, which we call wildlife and, 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 and game reserve management. Wildlife management. That means we get volunteers coming in that want to walk with Rana, they want to monitor Rana, they want to put up camera traps in the bush, they want to do ecological surveys, um, and it gives them an opportunity to stay and live in the field, but work with wildlife, monitor them, uh, and so forth. And then the third volunteer program, which is our, our, our sort of core of, of what we do, and that is to invite veterans from all over the world. So we have veterans coming in from Australia, from Europe, Germany, Italy, Spain, um, United States, and so forth. And those people come in, both men and women, we invite both men and women, our brothers and sisters that come in, and we do find that it has a healing um, nature. It has a, a, it's a, it's, it's very good for them. They feel part of something that's, that's very important. They contribute. They share their skills. So that is a very important aspect of that veteran volunteer um, program. Um, They spend between one and three months. Some people have actually stayed longer and they contribute immensely. The the value of their contribution is, is is so amazing. But then what I wanted to say was, you know, terror conservation, the terror conservation initiative, you know, terror conservation has been walking a long journey with ICORP and we're so appreciative of, of, you know, they're always their support and always just, you know, um, um, getting out some of our word out there and so forth. And and I think that having a partner such as Terra Conservation Initiative, having that partner with the technology that they have um, and that they are already on the ground in, in, in various parts of, of Africa and, and probably Asia and, and other parts of the world, um, it will just add value to the the whole aspect of wildlife protection. But not just that, but also community development. I mean, in Mozambique, if we look at what we have to do as a part of our social responsibility program, we have to sink three wells. That costs a lot of money. It's 1,200 rand per meter, and we get water at 85 meters. Um, to equip, to equip the, 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 the well, it's going to cost another five or $6,000. So it's, it's, it's and huge amounts of funds that is required. And having Terra Conservation Initiative as part of our partner, I mean, th- these things could, could um, you know, it could assist 
the bigger picture at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, and we're, we're really honored to share this walk with you because you, you and your team um, and the communities that you work with are, are really inspirational. And, um, you know, you're, you're taking your lives and, and, and putting them on the line every single day. And so that is an, ex an extraordinary thing. So how can people learn more about i and the programs that you do, maybe even come out and volunteer for one of these programs? Where can, can people find you? So we, we have a very uh, well updated, we've got a gentleman in the UK, in the United Kingdom, um, Gary, and he updates our website on a week-to-week -week basis. Our website is, uh, is updated and, and, uh, and a lot of great information on it. And our website um, uh, is, is probably the gateway. It's www.icorprotection, um, so I-C-O-R-P-R-O-T-E-C-T-I-O-N.org, icorprotection.org. And all of the information is on there. Um, they can contact me as the founder of the organization directly. They can contact me. We have links to some of the senior people's um, email addresses, but all of the volunteer programs are on there, excepting the volunteer program for the communities that's still being compiled. Um, they, they are able to contact us directly. Our email addresses are on that website. And you're also on Facebook and some of the other social media, correct? That's correct. We are on we on Instagram. We on we've got a Facebook page under iCorp that um, that people can access. But what I want to just say quickly is we're in a situation now where we've got a sanctuary. We have to name the sanctuary. Um, the second thing we want to name the research station, and we want to name the training base, and. We are thinking about um, our partners that have walked a, a journey with us. So, you know, it would probably ring, uh, have a good ring to it is the Terra Conservation Research Center, perhaps. So, so let's, I like how let's, you're let's talk Mark. about that. Okay, <laughs> so we, we really want to include some of the people that have walked with us. I mean, we've got one or two donors that we have discussed this with. They are very private people and they do not want to be acknowledged that way. So we are sitting in a situation, and I think it will also be very important if I send Terra Conservation uh, Initiative a document on the, on the Mozambican project, um, because we are calling out for investors uh, for that specific project in terms of you know, buildings, roads, machinery, and whatever the case may be, um, and also tourism. So there are opportunities for people to set up um, um, safari camps. So yeah, that, that's that's where we are right now. Well, I I, I think we would feel honored at the Terra Conservation Initiative to have that kind of an opportunity, and and uh, let's definitely continue uh, that conversation. So I, I just want to thank my guest today, Mark McDonald, who is the founder of ICOR, um, and I just please convey our gratitude to your team and thank you for all the work that you're doing. And and hopefully when you start to get these other programs up and running, the community program in particular, you can come back and talk about that. So thank you and, and you know, go have a cup of coffee now because I know it's very early in the morning for you. Since our interview with Mark, there has been some really exciting developments. 
um, including and most importantly, something that will make Mark and his team's job so much easier to do because it will allow them to be above uh, the ground and seeing what's happening from Bat Hawk aircraft. By the way, I'd never heard of a thing called Bat Bat Hawk aircraft, and it's rather hard to say, but it's a, a part of the new launch of ICOR's Air Wing Division. So they will be able to use these two aircraft, not one, but two aircraft that a generous donor uh, gifted them recently to fly above and do the work that they do, spot poachers, to protect wildlife. And so this is a really exciting addition to the work that Mark does. So, so congratulations, Mark. It's very exciting for the new ICOR Air Wing Division. To learn more about Terra's conservation efforts and support this important work, please visit terraconservation.org or terrastories.bz. And please reach out to us at info at for questions, comments, or suggestions for topics. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.